Dan Burt, whatever, in for Jack and Joe on the Armstrong and Getty Show. It's great to be with you as we uh, continue to break down all the different angles, the big stories that are connected to COVID and life in a COVID world. Uh, I want to welcome to the show somebody who, uh, who I've gotten to know a little bit in the last few weeks as we've been tracking this COVID virus story. He's Adam Housley, former Fox News correspondent. His website is adamhousley.tv. He's been a, a reporter for, for a couple of decades, hitting all the biggest stories that you can possibly imagine. He's been tracking this COVID-19 Wuhan flu situation, and he joins us now on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, Adam, thanks for making time for us today. I appreciate it. Hey, Brett, you know, I've, I've been on Armstrong Getty before when uh, you and I were both in different places. So it's kind of kind of fun to be back. And, and of course, the guys are off. So it must be nice, right? Yeah, it's great. It's a it's a rare opportunity for uh, for us to chat about uh, about only the biggest story of the last, I don't know, what, 200 years uh, in terms of panic and fear. Look, look, let's let's break this down for a minute, because we know that the SBA funding is is now run out. We don't know when they're going to replenish the Paycheck Protection Fund. We've, we're two trillion, three trillion, four trillion, who knows, into this fight. Do we have any clarity as to the sourcing, as to where this came from? Are we still buying the wet market narrative? I mean, what, what's going on here with this uh, with this coronavirus? So about seven days ago, um, you know, I, uh, I, I was speaking with some of the contacts that I continue to have. and I got three separate sources from three different locations, three different places, three different agencies, basically, if you will, um, that uh, confirmed to me, at least, that they're confident it did not start in this wet market, which uh, that, that name's even becoming questionable now. It's a market where they sell animals, obviously. Right. Um, now, they, they, they told me, listen, it could have gone through there, Adam. Sure, it could have gone through there. But this wasn't some random bat taken from the wild, taken to a market, undercooked, and served to somebody. And so we, we put, I put that out there on Twitter I get about, about seven days ago, and it's, it's kind of manifested from there. I know other bigger news agencies have picked it up in the last couple of days being new. Um, but last night I got a little more information. That's that, you know, a couple of the uh, – like one senator came out, maybe a Republican senator last night came out and said, you know, this, we're, we're, still, we're still convinced this is natural, a natural virus. Well, one of the scientists I know uh, who's been just spot on with this, and I can't tell you how I know him, but he's just been really, really helpful with me and others to clarify things. He said, I don't know how anybody, let alone a senator who's not a scientist, can say that, Adam, because, because there's a lot of other variables that go into play here. And what a lot of the investigators and scientists I've talked to believe is that this virus was naturally occurring in the wild, but it's been messed with. That's just layman's terms for right. And this happens. They go and they do those things. And that changes the whole ball game when that happens. So is there a concern from the scientific community you're talking to that as we try to work on whatever the, the remedy is going to be or the therapeutic that there's going to be, you know, redemisphere, uh, chloroquine, you know, whatever it is that people are kicking back and forth, that this thing may continue to mutate and we may be stuck chasing something that can change over time? Is Because if it's been messed with, it means it's been engineered to a certain extent. Are, are we going to be chasing this thing down the proverbial rabbit hole? Yeah, well, a couple of things. They don't know how much they don't know how much has been messed with yet. Anybody who says that they do know is, is mm-hmm. not telling the truth. So if you see somebody on TV saying they know that what this is exactly, they're not telling you the truth. Um, first of all, that's the first thing. So they don't know exactly how much it will. Um, the, the one scientist who's given me the best information, who's been the, the, the closest to what's happened so far, in my opinion, ha- has told me that you know it, it could. Uh, a lot of a lot of companies are going for vaccines. They're going to treat it like the flu, where every year you're going to try to guess which which you know which way it goes, and then you'll, mm-hmm. you'll get a shot for it. But there's other companies, an Israeli company, and there's one uh, that I profiled up in Harvard. I know Harvard has a controversial tone sometimes because of this, but there's there's some great scientists working up there. One lab 
that um, it, they're actually going to knock it out. They're, they're, they're shooting for a vaccine that would just knock it out one time. You would have to take you know, every year get a, a COVID shot like you do a flu shot. So there's a couple different ways people are going at this. Um, you know, they, their concern is, um, you know, obviously they don't want to argue policy, whether we should shut all the way down and how we did it. They do think that by shutting down, it did help flatten the curve, at least get everybody prepared to deal with this. But they also say, listen, you know, that sometimes you get to a point where the, the cure could be worse than the actual disease. And that came from one of the scientists. And so he, he did say to me, he goes, Adam, the one concern as states and the feds start talking about reopening, we just have to remember the one thing that got us on this was the fact that it does spread so quickly and so easily. He goes, look, for example, there's a, there's a nursing home that has 105 patients and 103 got it. He goes, you don't have that even with the flu. He goes, so that's the one area we do have to be cognizant of as we reopen is that this thing does spread fast and easy. He goes, we don't necessarily know why. He goes, yep. but that's the truth. So that's why we need these, these, these immediate tests that they're going to, that are coming out now where you can get pricked and know in 15 minutes. He goes, these are huge, going to be hugely helpful because you will be able to know if you have antibodies, but also know if you have it. Adam Housley joining us. And of course, his, his website is uh, adamhousley.tv. When you look at the shutdown, the way, the way the shutdown has happened, the massive economic impact, the massive inconvenience, even in many cases, the loss of civil liberties by people, uh, to me, it feels like this is the one shot they have to try to address this in a serious fashion, because I think the American people are so frustrated and, and are so impatient that I, I think they got about 30 days left in the tank before people really start going a little nutty. Your reaction? I, I think they've already... I think they have less than that. And the reason I would have said, I would have agreed with you, Brett, yesterday at this time. Mm-hmm. But when I saw pictures last night from friends of mine who live in other parts of the country, because um, I'm in Northern California, where Northern California has still done a pretty good job. And we were the first ones to shut down uh, for the most part, and we're still that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have friends in L.A. that sent me pictures yesterday of the 10 freeway, and it was bumper to bumper. Yeah. Um, and it hadn't been. It hadn't been for a month. And I think that I, I would have said yesterday morning, yeah, Brett, I think we can go one more month. I don't, I don't know if there's parts of the country that could do that. And I think that uh, I don't think that people are going to be able to even stay down for another two weeks. I think that you know, people are starting to, to say, listen, I'm, I'm not going to be able to survive anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying this. So I, I don't, the thing I think has been problem, uh, problematic for many of our leaders and just looking, sitting back, is that for years, at least the last more recent history, everything's been politicized. So all decisions have been made on, on politicized, uh, you know, the politics of things. Right. This is the first time we've had to really talk about measured, being measured and, and, and being having the guts, Republican or Democrat, to go out there and make a decision. And no, you know, it, it's not an easy place for anybody to be um, president, governor and even mayor. Um, and that's why you're seeing some of them form packs, maybe even to, to yes. you know, a to, to help regionally, but also to help them make the decision because no one wants to be on an island by themselves. But at the same time, that's what we elected you for. And for the last 20 years or so, you guys have all been doing politics and playing politics to get your re-election and get your popularity going. Well, now you're going to have to actually do something like make a very serious decision and do it outside of politics. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not confident we can do that. Well, I mean, look, the fact of the matter is we have uh, our, our government, the federal government's effectively not functioning in the way it normally would, right? The Senate's not in session. The House right, is not in right, session. Right, right. Nancy Pelosi's showing off her ice cream collection to, to James Corden on late night TV. Um, we're, we're not we're not functioning like we normally do. So essentially what you have is on one side of the seesaw is the president with some governors that agree with him about reopening. And then you've got Gavin Newsom, Cuomo, Pritzker out of Illinois, and, 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 a, and, a, and a smattering of other governors that are on the other side of that teeter-totter. But 
the, I think the, the, the thing is, and I think Chuck Todd said this right overnight, where he said the balance is between who's going to speak for the small business and the struggling people out there in this country who want to get back to work and who's going to speak for the governors that want to get their cash from the federal government. Uh, that's a, that is a, that is a hairy situation. And I'm not seeing any statesmen in this bunch, to be honest with you, people who are willing to sacrifice their personal interests for the benefit of their citizens. Listen, it's interesting you say Gavin Newsom, which is my state, because, you know, you can make the argument back in 2008 or whatever. He was the one that stood out there and said gay marriage should be should be legal. That's right. Um, and and, you know, give him props for that. Whether you agree with him or not, he, he stuck out himself, stuck his neck out. He hasn't done that with this. He did. He, he did, you know, get us all to shut down. But, the, for example, the Bay Area counties up in the eight counties around the Bay in San Francisco mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Alameda, we all shut this area all shut down before he made that decision. So, you know, that was an interesting, I thought, take. They were the first one. We were the first ones to really shut down outside of Seattle. Um, so, you know, I, I think you're right with the whole statesman thing. I mean, it just comes down to not only the small businessman, but who's going to be willing to go against whether their, whether their party says to do this or not, because it's still being politicized. I mean, my God, I looked yeah. at my feed this morning. It's like, oh, my gosh, people are rewriting stuff now saying, like, how come we didn't shut down in February? For crying out loud, oh, February. Boy. <laughs> Shutting off flights would cause problems. I mean, did we, we had the mayor of New York talking about coming down and go to restaurants on March like 10th. Yes. It, it, imagine if we had shut down a state or someplace in February. I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. Imagine if the president has had shut down in February or even Gavin Newsom has had shut down in February when we had yeah. only 10 deaths. People yeah. would have freaked. So, oh, yeah. you know, that's the hindsight 2020 always. In, in this case, it really is. It's, it's, I, th- I find it interesting with all these experts going on TV and saying, we should have done this, we should have done that. You don't know what the hell we should have done. Because the fact of the matter is, you know, look at how much has changed even in the last two weeks. Absolutely. We went from, you know, we're going to have deaths of 100 to 200,000, and we're down to, you know, what, in the 40,000, I believe, is the latest estimate. That's Thank right. God. And, and one life is too many. Uh, but I'm just saying that's, you know, that there's just interesting to me. And then at the same time, the other frustrating part, Brad, is that, you have these mayors and some some governors that are predicting what's going to happen five months from now. Yeah, well, we're not going to be able to have anything in five months. How the hell do you know? You didn't know we were doing five days ago. <laughs> it's true. That's exactly right. We still don't know what caused the virus officially. No. So I mean, there we go. Uh, Adam Housley. You may never know. Yeah, uh, Adam Housley. It's always a treat to talk to you. I appreciate uh, talking to you on my show in Charlotte, and I appreciate talking to you here on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Adam TV. Follow him on Twitter. He's got amazing stories that he breaks and that he that he gets out there. And uh, we certainly appreciate you making time for us uh, this morning. Thanks so much, buddy. I appreciate it. Anytime, Brett. Take care. That's Adam Housley. I'm Brett Witterbull in for Jack and Joe on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Brett Witterbull in for Jack and Joe. Lovely weekend we're going to have. I, I can feel it. It's going to be wonderful to, to spend time in our living rooms, in our kitchens, in our bedrooms, in the attic, collecting our items and thinking about the days when we will be liberated and free. I know, I know, I know, but don't worry, don't worry. We are actually getting a glimpse into the future. Oh, I'll tell you how in just a moment. But first, this important message from AOC telling you the real reason for the people dying from the coronavirus. Go.
it's so funny how this pandemic was when it was impacting we when it was impacting the elderly when it was impacting um, all sorts of people we didn't talk about personal responsibility we only started talking about uh, you know taking personal responsibility over contracting coronavirus uh, when we started talking about black Americans contracting it at a higher rate um, obviously there are certain things we can do to make sure that pre-existing conditions uh, don't exist, but ultimately it's inequity that's the pre-existing condition. It's the inequality that's a pre-existing condition. And you can't just go to someone and tell them, hey, you should have had health care this whole time when you're working, you know, when you're working an hourly job and your employer doesn't give it to you. You know, a lot of these pre-existing conditions have to do with uh, the inability to access quality health care, the, inab the inability to afford quality health care, because we live in a country that continues to have a for profit um, health care system, unlike the rest of the developed world. OK, let that sink in for a second. AOC says the reason why people are dying because of coronavirus is systemic racism. Well, the reason why one group of people is dying is because of systemic racism. She's saying communities of color, people of color. But the thing is, the coronavirus is killing people of color and killing people who are colorless. That's right. You have people of color and the colorless people. They are they are both dying as a result of the coronavirus. And it's so curious to me. You know, it, it's amazing. Anybody can become an expert if you can win 15,000 votes in Queens. And then you get on television and suddenly you know everything. That's the big myth of politics. By the way, I'm Brett Whittable in, in for Armstrong and Getty. Um, it, it's the big myth about politics. I, I am a congresswoman. I have wisdom. Well, no. Six months ago, you were you were pouring you were pouring margaritas in a bar, but now you're a congressman. But you don't have you didn't instantly get rewarded with more wisdom. I am a senator now. I know everything. No, you you really don't know everything because you're a senator. But this this person, AOC, she's got a plan to take over the whole economy, right? The Green New Deal, the Green New Deal. Here's the thing I would say to Alexandria Ocasio Cortez of Queens. I would say this: what you see in America today, the people at home. Not working two trillion dollars, four trillion dollars in stimulus money, having to be cut out and sent out to people because they can't work. This is what the Green New Deal economy will look like when they put people out of business and tell you you can't work in fracking, energy development. You can't work in, in various industries. You, you have to live in cinder block houses and walking distance to the factory or the cubicle you're going to work in this economy with 10 percent unemployment. 15% unemployment? Do I hear 30% unemployment? That's the Green New Deal. That's what this is. And isn't it interesting? She indicts the American medical uh, system because we have a for-profit. See, we have a for-profit healthcare system. And the for-profit healthcare system is, is, is terrible because they're making profits. Okay. I'll bite. Who's going to come up with the cure for the coronavirus? Raise, raise your hand if you if you know who's going to come up with the cure for the coronavirus. I don't know who's going to come up with the cure for the coronavirus or the vaccine, but my money, what little I have left, my nickels, dimes, and pennies are going to be on American pharmaceutical and science companies that are going to be able to figure this out and set up a cure. Why? Because there's gold in them bar hills. That's right. We have a planet of 7 billion people. 
Seven billion people. Those are all going to be people who are going to want to get the vaccine. Those are all going to be people that are going to want to be able to live in the aftermath of the woohoo, Wuhan, who flu, right? The World Health Organization flu, the Wuhan flu, whatever you want to call it. They're all going to want that vaccine. That's what they're going to want. So there's a market for it now. That for-profit institution that is our healthcare system is going to drive the innovation because they have the money to fund it. Now, I get it. It's easy for her to fall back on an old trope and to say, this is systemic racism of the for-profit healthcare system. And you know what? I can't wait to see what the cure is going to be for, for the coronavirus coming out of Havana, Cuba or Pyongyang, North Korea or coming out or coming out of Venezuela or some other place that's impoverished and enslaved. It's because those things don't come from those places. Death and destruction come from those places. Witness the Wuhan flu. But the cures, they tend to come from the Western free democracies. Places that people like AOC and the squad hate, like Israel. You know, they they come from places like that. Where there's innovation and science and testing and resources. And still these cheap, cheesy politicians will tell you, you can't go to a concert, you can't go to a game. Gavin Newsom says, no sports until 2021. Are you kidding me? My good friend, Wes Clements, comes by next to unpack this and break it down. I'm Brett Witterbull, in for Jack and Joe on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I am Brett Whittable in for Jack and Joe on the Armstrong and Getty Show. So what's it going to take for us to actually reopen in the era of COVID? What's it going to take? Well, let's listen to Dr. Anthony Fauci, Cut 37, on what it takes to reopen. Go. What you must be able to do is to have in place the capability of rapidly identifying by testing, getting someone who's infected out of the circulation, obviously taking care of it if they need medical help, if they could be handled at home, do contact tracing, do it in an efficient way where it means something, not contact tracing many, many, many days after an individual actually is exposed. Now, that seems like a very complicated series of things to to balance out to determine whether or not we get to get back to normal, play sports, live life, do all that sort of stuff. I want to bring into the program. He is uh, he is a great guy that I'm very, very good friends with. Uh, Wes Clements, former sports talk radio host in Los Angeles. He's he's had a show on uh, on Fox. Uh, He's got over 20 years of professional baseball experience as a player and a manager here in the States and in Venezuela, Mexico, and Puerto Rico. And he's joining us from KABC country in uh, you know, beautiful Los Angeles, California, my favorite, my favorite city in the West Coast, except for the fact that nobody can play sports and nobody can compete. Wes Clements, when are we going to get to compete and play sports and do that thing, my man? Well, I guess it depends on what state you're in, Brett. I mean, uh, that's what it, it kind of looks like right now. Um, it is very interesting. Um What's going on uh, for about two weeks, MLB has been shooting out some rumors and plans about how we get started and uh, where um, a plan has come out that they're going to use Arizona mm-hmm. and Florida mm-hmm. to spring training sites. And um, 
sequester everybody there in hotels, play with no fans. Right. And, of course, those games would be broadcast. And then immediately, which is kind of interesting, many, many sports writers uh, came out, like, uh, poo-pooing that idea. Yeah, can't play. uh, (laughs) Yeah, you just can't do it. You you just can't do it. And so uh, here we are about two weeks later, two and a half weeks later, where uh, Dr. Fauci, in about 48 hours, uh, made an about turn and said, when questioned, are we going to be able to have events with sports fans in and be able to have concerts? All of a sudden, he said, yeah, I could see that. Okay, see, now this is mixed messaging that we're getting here, Wes, and this is a problem because as much as Dr. Fauci is a smart scientist, a smart doctor, all that sort of stuff, he's not been elected to any sort of uh, uh, office. He, he's not, he's not a, a president, a vice president, a governor, a mayor. He's Anthony Fauci at the National Institutes of... Uh, uh, of, of what of allergies and, and and all that sort of stuff. So what do we what do we do? Because Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, is not making any kind of moves towards allowing any kind of sports to take place. Uh, Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, uh, a, a mayor who has uh, stood up for the best interests of obviously his constituents sometimes, um, is is out there saying no no sports we can't do it they're talking 2021 that we have to have a full vaccine and a protocol and all this i feel like we may be in a new era of maybe i maybe i sports are it maybe esports are it maybe the nba nhl major league baseball college football college baseball college basketball. maybe it's just all going to go online and that's what's going to be I, it's this is insane this is america is a country that loves sports Wes, these politicians do not understand the importance that sports plays in people's lives. Well, I, I will say this. Um, a few weeks ago, I just happened to put out a tweet, um, and I said this, and I'm and, uh, paraphrasing, but it was, if the future of professional sports is that if anybody remotely, any player, any mm-hmm. staff, mm-hmm. any doctor, uh, any any photographer and the photographer as well gets a virus that we have to shut down that sport. And if this is the way we're going to condition ourselves, uh, we will not have sports anymore. And and I and I'm not being uh, any, I'm not joking about this. This is where where everybody is as we speak. We're not going to have sports if if the protocol is if somebody gets the flu and or sick. You shut down the sport. Well, okay, but it's more than sports, right? It's concerts, it's public events, it's air shows, it's church services, it's it's everything. If if you're going to have more than five people in a in a thousand square feet, you know we can't have that be the case because what will happen if somehow we get back to let's call it normal for for sporting events, concerts, mass events. Uh, big, big, you know, big gatherings, and one person gets sick or five people get sick, they're going to shut it down again. They're going to put us into a, uh, they're they're going to put us into a surveillance uh, regime where we have to cough into the phone, and the phone determines if you've got COVID. I mean, this is what's really scary o- overall because we have now backloaded so many events into the fall that I don't know how we're going to be able to do it all, from the Masters right. to the election. To the championships? Right. What are we doing? Well, I don't... Listen, there's a lot... I mean, 
you, that's a can of worms that, that it, it is exploding as we speak. But um, here's what I would say is, is that this, this has impacted sports in general. Um, obviously, the, the pro sports um, can – how do I say this? They have a little bit more cushion to handle this. Uh, NCAA does not. The NCAA has 347 Division I schools in 49 different states. And to give you an example, March Madness would have just ended. After March Madness, every year, $600 million is distributed annually to those 347 Division I schools. This year, $225 million will be distributed. Old Dominion, schools like that, uh, they've already had the conference call that canceled wrestling. The whole program is gone. This is going to affect schools across the nation, and baseball is actually going to be one of the sports that gets cut in some of these Division One, most likely mid-major schools, who those millions that normally they would have been getting because of March Madness, they're not coming. So it, no. it's going to affect NCAA schools as much as anything. If And again, football, to give you an idea how important football is, in 2018, the 25 most valuable college football teams combined for $2.5 billion That's incredible. every year. That's incredible. So your top 25 is basically $2.5 billion right there. Correct. And so that's the the dynamics of what college sports is and how and, important college football okay, okay. is. And, 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 let's get to the, and let's get to the brass tacks here. Wes Clements joining us here. Uh, former baseball manager, national baseball champion in college. Let's get to the brass tacks. Because this does not happen in a vacuum. You have vendors, stadiums, beer contracts, food contracts, broadcast contracts. You have got ancillary uh, people connected to this. Vendors, the people that clean the stadiums, the people that park the cars, the people that police the cars. You name it. You're talking about ancillary costs of, of, of a couple of hundred thousand jobs. You've got Cronky Land getting ready to open up in Los Angeles, right? You've got, you've got football. You've got baseball. You've got basketball. There are millions of people sidelined as a result of that industry not being allowed to function like so many other industries are. And some of those industries, by the way, are mom and pops, and some of those industries are small businesses. Let me ask you a question kind of on the way out the door about this, because it's very important. You've managed in some places that are, let's say, suboptimal, maybe some places that are a little rough to manage sports in. You've managed in in, in Mexico and Venezuela. Clearly, places that have had health concerns, challenges, things like that, do they shut do they shut the sport down when there's an outbreak of measles or flu or something like that? I mean, do they do they just say nothing is going to happen or do they say we'll just kind of manage it on a case by case basis? Well, no, I listen. We've <laughs> I've been in many dugouts and many clubhouses across my 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 career uh as a player and as a manager. Um somebody gets sick, you send them home, the game goes on. Now, I, I I'm not uh I'm not trying to underestimate the power of this virus because it obviously is nasty. Um, But if it sounds to me by all the numbers and they're available to the public that we're going to be around par for flu deaths for an entire uh, uh, year and or below. So uh, 
I, I guess I have trouble with the people condemning people that come to the conclusion that I just had. Um, I, I don't understand because if those are the numbers, those are the numbers. Right. So how do, how do you conclude different for the flu versus this virus if they end up being around the same deaths? So right. I don't know. Well, I, I think mean, it's because it's because yeah, I think it's because we don't have a vaccine for this, but we do have them in theory for the flu, assuming it matches up on a year over year basis. Wes Clements, I appreciate I, pre- I appreciate you being there. What's your Twitter handle so people can follow you on the Twitter? It's W Clements twenty two. W Clements twenty two. We always appreciate you being there. Thanks for coming by, my friend, and uh, look forward to our next visit. All right, babe. Wes West Clements breaking it down from the sports perspective. See, we got it all. We got faith. We got sports. We got jobs. We got science. We're hitting it all right here on the Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm Brett Witterbull in for Jack and Joe on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Brett Witterbull in for Jack and Joe on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Something that gets uh, kind of thrown around a, a lot uh, in kind of a random way, but, but in, a, in an important way, is this idea of the American spirit, right? What is the American spirit? Well, I, I think it's, it's fair to say that the American spirit is the belief that we are a strong country, that we are a good country, and that we are a country that intends to stick around. We don't intend to fall upon the the, the ash heap of history, uh, like like so many other empires have have fallen throughout history because of what we are and what we represent to the world. One can imagine the United States disappearing off the face of the earth and what the world would look like at that point. Many people have said it would look like the time when the Roman Empire collapsed. That would look like a children's birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese, the fall of the Roman Empire, compared to, to if we went away. We are the insurance policy around the world. We are the vital man or woman, if you want to be uh, politically correct, um, out, out there in the world. Our Navy is the reason why you have free commerce. You have the freedom of commerce out there functioning because... Sure, we've got a couple of aircraft carriers that are in a tough situation with coronavirus, but the United States Navy represents uh, freedom and liberty. We don't move into places and oppress people and take them into chains. What we do is we ensure that liberation exists and that that aspiration for freedom is present and is there. You think back to to the big events of our lifetime, depending on what your lifetime has been, but for universal sake, let's let's start with Pearl Harbor up to the very present. Each and every time America has been challenged or faced a challenge, we have come back stronger than before. New York City has been particularly hard hit as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. And, and they are a city that is no stranger to, to tragedy and disaster. That much is sure. But in this, the gathering of people in New York, to sing together, to lift their voices up, to build up the spirits of the people battling on the front lines for the coronavirus and stuck in their homes. This is what the American spirit sounds like in many ways. Go.
That's New York. But that may as well be San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, San Diego, Kansas City, Seattle, Portland. That's New York. But that spirit is alive everywhere. I go back to my comments from from earlier in the program. The idea that people are frustrated is there because people want to get back to life and back to work. You don't see a huge outflow of American refugees streaming into Canada, getting into boats at the tip of Florida to go to Cuba. You don't see millions of Americans streaming into Mexico seeking a brighter opportunity. What you see are Americans weathering the storm here. And much has been said about the softness of of this American generation. Well, the fact of the matter is, folks, it depends on what generation you're talking about. The people I feel worst for are the class of 2020, the high school kids and the college kids who are set to come out and graduate. I have a daughter who's 17. I have a daughter who's set to graduate, and she will miss out on the proms, her color guard season, I hope not graduation, but that's entirely possible. The college students set to graduate three months ago to go out into the best economy in our lifetimes. Jobs were going to be chasing them, and now we may have a mass unemployment problem. And this generation, the college kids and the high school kids that have spent their time working hard, that's the second hit they've taken in 10 years because they both lived through the mortgage meltdown. See, that generation is going to mirror, I believe, the generation that liberated the world in World War II. Why? Because there was no alternative. Our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents that came from the, the rural states and came from the big cities that went off in boats to liberate Europe and fight Japanese militarism in Japan, those people had no alternative coming out of the Great Depression There was no direction but forward. And yet they boarded those ships, those landing craft, and headed into the sound of the gunfire from the fascist forces occupying Europe under Hitler's boot heel. And as those landing craft approached the shore and those ramps dropped, they ran headfirst to save, not to conquer, to save lives, to preserve lives and freedom. That's the ultimate endowment that America is. This is not our country. We are the stewards of this country right now. And we owe a debt of gratitude and thanks to all those generations that came before us that kept this thing going, and we owe it to the future generations to keep it going for them. So when you hear the New Yorkers gathered together singing, New York, New York, or you hear them uh, beating the pots and pans, or the first responders running their sirens, or or different sort of uh, uh, saluting activities in cities and towns across this country, recognizing the greatness of America, the selflessness of America. That's what we have to remember. In many ways, though I talk about the high school kids graduating in 20, and the college kids set to graduate in 20, we are all together in this, the class of 20. We will remember for the next 20, 30, 50, 80 years what this year meant and what it served as a test for into the future. That's 
our shared heritage. That's our moment. And it's our opportunity to decide whether or not we want to be the next greatest generation. See, because I I have no doubt that out of this challenge will come triumph, but not triumph at the cost of somebody else, triumph of the spirit of the American people and triumph of the human spirit. We remain an incredibly generous country. Worse countries, weaker countries would be coming apart at the seams. There, There would be revolution in the streets with different factions fighting for control of the government. And still, our biggest complaint is, what do I do now that i finished Netflix? We're facing a lot of problems, economic, social, and spiritual problems. But because of the down payment made in the generations before us, we, the class of 2020, united together, get to move forward to a brighter day. My name is Brett Whittable. I'm in for Jack and Joe on the Armstrong and Getty Show.